You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Great to have you join us now here in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our program today, Turning Points. Later, Michael, you're going to be a teaching on turning points uh, in Jesus' ministry. So that's where we get the title for the program today. There are other turning points we'll talk about as well. But good to be with you. Nice, nice to be back again. Uh, I've missed you. You've uh, you've been to Korea and back yeah. since I saw you last. Yes, yes, I was. It was a fantastic experience. My second visit to Korea. You've been there before. Numerous times. Where haven't you been, I guess yeah, I should say, right, Michael. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. When you open the scriptures later, you'll be, of course, using the CSB translation, which is our standard fare here. And mm-hmm. we have a guest coming up in the second half of the program, someone you know well, because you've done ministry together, right? Yeah, uh, Stephanie Seafelt is my favorite worship leader. And um, and just, uh, you're going you're gonna to find out what a special person she is here in, in a few minutes when you get to... Uh, Hear her talk about her devotional life and how she she keeps things fresh uh, in the summer. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy and we're and she's been on the program before. She's she's a return guest, right? Yeah, and I would I will look forward someday to seeing her in action, yeah. uh, leading worship. That yeah. that would be a great experience. All right, uh, remember we had Adrian Russell on with us recently after yes. your trip to England, um, and here's Gail's comment after listening. She said it was so interesting to hear about Blanche Carey. And the hardships people faced during that time, especially those young girls who became widows. Mm-hmm. Hats off to Adrian Russell, who took the time to do all the research and share this gem with us. I'd like to read his book. I also always enjoy Mike's teaching. He makes the scriptures come alive. It was good to hear his songs too. Joy in the journey is so encouraging and so true when it reminds us that we really do have freedom when we obey the Lord. Mm-hmm. Gail says, thanks for another insightful and encouraging podcast. Well, thank wow. you, Gail, for writing to us. Yeah, I so appreciate when people take time to encourage us and let us let us know, you know, what what helps them and what washes their feet and that sort of thing. Uh, we have a, a on Spotify now. There, um, our producer Joe Carlson says that now they're they they have a place for you to leave a comment. And Sheen left this comment. Uh, I love the discussion on the hymns. I have always loved the old hymns. They're so poetic and have such deep meaning. I pray for God to be my vision for how I see the world. This is so, so good. Hmm. Yeah, those comments are very helpful when you leave them, whether it's on Spotify or Apple or Google, any place you leave the comments, because it it really helps introduce the podcast to potential listeners as well. So thanks for taking the time to do it. It encourages us to read those comments, and it attracts other people to listen as well. So thank you very much. Mike, we're going to hear a song, and then we'll hear some teaching here today from the scriptures. Uh, set this song up for us. This is who you are. Yeah, this is a this is an older song. I guess they're they're kind of all old songs now. Um, this is a a, a song. Um, the 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 verses t- uh, are describing a person who is um, a, a little bit struggling. Uh, I won't say I won't use the word loss, but someone who's struggling. Mm-hmm. And they they essentially really don't know who they are anymore. And I don't know if you've ever if you ever struggle with that. And then the the chorus is a voice. It could be Jesus, uh, a voice from the scriptures, telling the person who they are. You possess the kingdom. Uh, you're the sorrowful, the meek. Uh, right out of the, out of the beatitudes of uh, of Jesus' sermon. Um, so. Yeah, it's kind of two voices going back and forth, back and forth. But hopefully, the the voice in the chorus is is the encouraging voice because that's yeah. really what Christ does for us. He tells us who we are. Uh, mm-hmm. And if 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 you find yourself kind of confused and I don't know who I am anymore, that's probably a good indication that you're not as close to Him as as you need to be. Well, let's listen to Mike sing now this song. This is who you are. Misunderstood and undefined A stranger to myself Incarnate contradiction 
poverty and wealth I can believe in disbelief I can bless and I condemn I'm dying in the darkness of not knowing who I am Then rising like the morning sun the light begins to speak in a voice that's vastly strong and still so infinitely weak It's roaring like a lion and it whispers like a lamb It's thundering that who you are is wrapped in who I am The kingdom, you're the sorrowful, the meek The gentle starving ones who are the strongest when you're weak You're always making peace each time You suffer for what's right You freely offer mercy From a heart I filled with light To everyone who's lost, he gives a new identity That's grounded in the kingdom and a new reality It's found in loving kindness and a mercy that is free You can become the child that you were always meant to be My world comes through the seasoning of your life Remember when the darkness looms You were meant to be the light A light that can't be hidden Or we'll see it from afar This is who you are Thank you for the song, Michael. Just before we turn to your teaching recorded at the Cove in North Carolina, you've spent so much time studying the details of Jesus' mm-hmm. life. I'm just wondering how it's changed you and what you're learning. Well, I, I really do feel like I, I I know him better. I'm closer to him than I've been in years. Um, it's And it all come, came from this determination that I'm going to know everything there is to know about him. So I've been li- uh, listening to his heart, listening to his mind. I think for me, the biggest impact has been trying to understand the way his mind works. And you you see it in, uh, the, I use the word elegant a lot. You mm-hmm. see the elegance of his thought in the, in the parables. You see uh, how he, he deals with everyone differently. I think one of the newest ideas I had is when, when Jesus comes uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead, he he spends time talking to Martha because that's what Martha needs. But then when he gets with Mary, she cries, and and so he weeps with her. So that that was just wonderful to see. You know, Martha needs to talk about the resurrection and that sort of thing. Mary just needs somebody to cry with her. And Jesus mm-hmm. is sensitive, and he's just this. There's this elegance about the way he deals with people. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you're helping us all experience that, Mike, with your study, the Walk with Jesus study. Let's turn to it now. Today, turning points in Jesus' ministry. Okay, so let me give you my rough data on the course and the trajectory of his ministry. And I say, for me, the ministry begins with the baptism uh, and the the temptation. Uh, So I'm referring to that as the beginning and then he begins a, a solo teaching ministry in Galilee. Um, this is like Mark 1, Matthew 4, and Luke 4, early on. 
and, and that, there, I think there are implications to that. He doesn't need the, the disciples to do what he's doing. I mean, he can teach and do his thing. You know, obviously, he's going to train the disciples and send them out and, and you know, get to a broader uh, audience, as it were, but he doesn't need them. It's, it, they are privileged to be a part of what he's doing. That's what I'm, I'm hint, hinting at. And the, the indications in the Gospels are that this first solo preaching tour is very successful. So if, I almost want to graph it so he begins and, you know, it starts doing this early on. Very, very successful. Then he calls his first disciples, does his first miracle in Cana. In John 2, he makes his first trip to Jerusalem. If we didn't have John, we would just think that Jesus only went to Jerusalem one time because the synoptics only refer to one, one trip to Jerusalem. And that's a third of the synoptics is the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, half of John is the last week in Jerusalem, which is pretty incredible. If you were writing a biography, if the, if the Gospels were biographies, you would never do it that way, right? But they're not biographies, they're testimonies, okay? If it was a biography, it would give us a, a description of what he looked like, and, uh, which we're all frustrated about. So there's his first trip to uh, Jerusalem when the first, uh, at the same time, the first temple expulsion happens. Uh, and so in terms of the trajectory of the ministry, that's the first time he has conflict with the leaders of the temple early on. And let me tell you what I believe. And I think, I won't be dogmatic about this, but I think it's a pretty cool idea. Um, I do know, I can demonstrate that traditionally the marketplace for the temple was held on the Mount of Olives, not in the temple complex. And I think a good explanation for his anger at seeing it there is this may be the first year they moved it in there. So the only place in the temple where the Gentiles can pray, they've set up a marketplace and there's animals and birds and money, money exchange and that sort of thing. And uh, I think that explains why uh, he's so upset. Okay, so there's the ten so. So he, he begins early solo successful ministry and then begins the disciples, the first trip to Jerusalem. And then there's, I don't know if you would say tearing up the temple made it a dip or what, but it, it uh, definitely affects the trajectory of the ministry. Um, as, as his popularity grows, he's driving out demons, he's, he's teaching in synagogues, and he's healing. So he, he initially has a synagogue ministry until the crowds get too big. And then it becomes an open-air ministry. Okay, it's kind of hard to fit 10,000 people in a synagogue. So his popularity grows. Uh, one indication of that is, this is at this point in the ministry, have, we have the first occurrence of the Messianic secret. Things are getting really popular and getting crowded. And so for the first time, he says, he heals someone. He says, don't tell anybody. Because he's trying to, it's crowd control. He's trying to keep a, a lid on. And right after, that's Mark 1.43 and Luke 5.14. I've got references for all of these, but I'm just not going to throw numbers at you. But the interesting thing is right after that first reference to the Messianic secret is the first mention of a large crowd. So the crowd's getting big. So as, if we're graphing, he begins his ministry, it's successful, then there's some early success, and then it does this, I think. All of a sudden, we, you know, we have 5,000, 10,000 people. And... Uh, at that point, he calls more disciples. That's when Matthew is called. And it, it also at that point, uh, in the synoptics, we have the first plot. We have word of the first plot to kill him. So early in the first year of the ministry, I mean, this is Mark 3. Uh, and we're going to look at the plots tomorrow. Uh, I've, I've got those all diagrammed for you. So the first plot begins there. So after the early success, then we have the first um, uh, word of a plot and then we have words of the crowds growing even larger. And that's when he's saying, have a boat ready so they don't push me into the water. Okay? Um, and at that point, uh, that's Mark uh, 3.9. At that part in Mark 3.12, he repeats the Messianic secret again. It, something happens and he says, please don't tell anybody I did that. Uh, which I still find is a fascinating part of, his, uh, of, of him. At this point, we have the second trip to Jerusalem, only in John. It's John 5. And at this point, he, he appoints the 12. 
Uh, we read that passage, you know, calls them apostles, gives him authority. And, um, and at this point, we're, we're, uh, we're given Mark 3.20, the crowds are so large that they, can't eat, they don't even have time to eat. So there's this, in my graph, it seems like the crowds are doing this. Now they can't eat. There's just too many people coming and going. Um, so he teaches the crowds in the wilderness. That's Mark 4. Mark 5, we, we read the proud crowds pressing against him. Um, but occasionally, this is Mark 6, he'll still teach in the synagogue. So he doesn't completely abandon the synagogue ministry. So apparently sometimes he can still slip in and speak to the 40 or 50 people that could gather in one of those early synagogues. Yeah. When you mentioned John 5 and the second trip to Jerusalem. Hold on. Yes. John 5, 1. I think so. Okay. I think so. But check, check. Um, so he points the 12 cards. Um, proud crowds still teaches in the synagogue. Oh, and at this point, he sends the 12 out on their first mission. Mark 6, Matthew 10, Luke 9. So when we, we saw that process, he's been with them. He's been discipling them. They've gone through various conflicts with him. He's taught them about the parables privately. And now he sends them out on their first mission. And right after that, the, the feeding of the 5,000 5, happens. So by now, we've got, we've got 15,000, 20,000 people because 5,000 men, you know. And this is, so, so, you know, we're going up and up and up and up. But this is where Jesus speaks of eating his flesh. And in big red letters, I have his popularity starts to erode at that point. I see that as a turning point in the ministry. Uh, because it's just a little reference. And many of his disciples said this is a hard saying, and who, who can accept it? And a few verses later, I think it says, and many of his disciples stopped following him. They just can't, you know, they, it, it's hard enough following him, you know, on a good day. But then when he starts talking like this, uh, so I, I would say in the trajectory of the ministry, there's this pretty gradual, you know, peak. And then all of a sudden, I would call it a subtle erosion. I don't think it does that. But I think it starts to erode, and let's see, if, let's see if this bears this out. At this point, Mark 7 and Matthew 15, we have an investigative committee from Jerusalem coming. Judea is coming to check on Galilee, and uh, they have a lot of power. That's 7-1. And I've never seen this before, but uh, Mark 7-1. And Mark 7-21, that's when he goes north to Tyre. And that, that, I think there may, that may be connected to this and these people investigate him. But, you know, it, the text doesn't say that, but I'm just wondering if that's why he would go. Tyre's a long way up to the coast of the Mediterranean. And the other new idea for me is Jesus standing on the coast of an ocean. I've never thought of that before. But uh, Tyre's on the coast. So he goes up to Tyre, and then after that, the next step, after this turning point, is he does this sort of circuitous route around the north part of the Sea of Galilee over to, to the Decapolis. And this is when we have their, oh, thank you. See that beautiful map? See, um, see Tyre? See, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there, y'all. No, but you see Tyre up on the coast, right? So he's up there. He, he goes down to the northern part of the, uh, the, the, the lake and then goes around to the Decapolis. Okay. And you know what, don't, you don't have to get all this in your head right now, but just get the idea that there is a structure, I think, to his ministry, and there, the popularity waxes and wanes, and the, the, the Gospels give us some indication of this. So I think, I mean, I love him. I want to know what is, <laughs> I want to know this stuff. So anyway, there it is. So he goes to the Decapolis, and then his, this is when his third trip happens to Jerusalem, and this is for tabernacles. This isn't for Passover, this is for tabernacles. And that's John 7, when he has the little engagement with his brothers, and he goes in secret. So that, that helps us sort of get a feel for this trajectory as well, right? He's, he's going in secret because there's been this erosion of his popularity and the plots, there's more than one plot to kill him. We'll look at those plots tomorrow. And so he goes to Jerusalem in secret, but he gets there and he can't, can't keep secret because when they're in the temple court and the, the pouring of the water ceremony happens, he shouts out in the middle of this crowd, and it may be the largest crowd he ever spoke to. Uh, if, in a, if a person, if a man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
not a good move for someone who's moving around in secret with multiple plots against his life. But uh, I don't think he, can, he can't contain himself. It's after this, uh, that, that's John 7, 10. After this, he, uh, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And the, what I'm calling the point of no, then the point of no return happens. They go up to Caesarea Philippi, which is another thing that really bothers me that he did that. If, see Syria, see right to the left of Syria, that's Caesarea Philippi. Uh, it's right at the foot of Mount Hermon, that big bump on, to the north. That's Mount Hermon. I showed you that picture with snow. That's it. That's, it's that mountain. Okay. So um, he goes to Caesarea Philippi to this very pagan city filled with pagan temples. And it's in that context that he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And this, the Caesarea Philippi confession of Peter happens. You're the, you're the Christ. And um, that for me represents a turning point because... Um, this is the first time he mentions to the 12 that he's going to suffer. So here's the, you know, the trajectory and then subtle erosion and then starts talking about the fact that he's going to suffer. And it's at, at this point that the, the final, Luke 9, that the final journey to Jerusalem begins. So this is a turning point. The confession is made, he's the Messiah. And Luke says, Jesus resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. And chapters 9 to 19 in Luke are just him uh, making that final uh, trip. And I'm going to share some other insights on that, on his preaching during the final trip too. I hope you'll, hope you'll find interesting. So that's the lo long final uh, journey to Jerusalem. There's mentions of large crowds traveling with him, but they're all going to Passover. They're not, it's not a large crowd that's just with Jesus. Everyone's going to Jerusalem for Passover. So this is his last trip to Jerusalem as a, uh, for the Passover. Uh, he stops uh, by Capernaum, uh, and this is Matthew 17, and there's no mention of a crowd. In fact, there's no mention of a crowd until they get to, to uh, Jericho in Matthew. So I think that's interesting. Now I'm, I'm reasoning from silence, but you see what I'm doing? I mean, I'm not dogmatically saying this is what's happened. I'm trying to do some detective work and get a feel for how the ministry went. So they stop by Jerusalem, and that's the, the story of the coin in the fish's mouth, and uh, there's no mention of a crowd there. And after that, raising of Lazarus, um, and the final stop is Jericho. He sees what, Zacchaeus on the way in and Bartimaeus on the way out. Or it's, maybe it's the other way around. Anyway, Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus are the two people that he encounters in that final trip through uh, Jericho. And then he enters Jerusalem for the so-called triumphal entry. Then we have the second temple expulsion. And in Mark and Matthew both speak then of a final plot beginning. That's when they, the, the temple priests and the Pharisees come together and we get, there's nothing we can do. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to kill him. And it's at this point that we have a series, and I was going to look at these, maybe I'll still, I still will. We have a series of trick and trap questions. That's when those questions start. They're trying to trick him into, into um, implicating himself or uh, they want to trap him somehow in his words by something that he said and they can't do it. That's do, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He can't say yes and he can't say no. Either, it, whatever he says is going to get him in trouble. That's why they're trick questions. That's why they're traps. And he outsmarts them every time. Um, it's at that point that uh, he's anointed at Bethany. Then the Last Supper happens. And then gets in the foot washing after the Last Supper, which only John can bring himself to tell us. Then we have Gethsemane, the arrest, the crucifixion, resurrection, return to Galilee, and the ascension. In the ebb and flow of living, as we wander through the years, we're told to listen to a voice. We can't hear with our ears They say to live by something That you can't see with your eyes Is there really any purpose To this foolish exercise? Could it be you make your presence known 
softened by your absence Could it be that questions tell us more Than answers ever do Could it be that you would really rather die Than live without us Could it be the only answer That means anything is you silence, in our pride and in our shame, to the genius and the scholar, to the foolish and insane, to the ones who care to seek you, and to the ones who never will, you are the only answer, even still. more than answers ever do. Could it be that you would really rather die than live without us? Could it be the only answer that means anything is you? Could it be the only answer that means anything Thanks, Michael, for this song that helps us connect with what we've experienced so far in this podcast. We hope you'll stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners about what you were learning in this session. Or reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Summertime is a great opportunity to catch up on any episodes you might have missed, Look through the archive on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and be sure to leave a comment or write a review of the podcast. Well, there's more teaching and insights like what you've heard when you check out Michael's books and music. His latest is titled The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. This book can help you expand on what you've heard today. Look for it at michaelcard.com. And there's more music and conversation with Stephanie Seafelt after this message here in the studio with Michael Card. I love God's Word, and the CSB Study Bible is a wonderful addition to help you grow in love and devotion to the truth of the Bible. This fresh translation combined with meaningful commentary and study tools can help you make lifelong connections with God's Word. Search for the CSB Study Bible at csbible.com. Put your interest to learn into action as you open up God's Word with an array of study notes and word studies and more for your deep study and daily reading. When you visit online, see how you can explore the rich meaning of the text through this edition. Be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 with caps, no spaces, in the promotion code for your 40% discount with LifeWay. I hope the CSB Study Bible can be used to further your discipleship journey. Search for CSB Study Bible now at csbible.com.
the grace to tear off the mask, see the art of your face, and open your ear lids to hear the sweet song of each moment that passes, and pray to prolong your time in the ball of the dance of your days, the canvas of colors, of moments ablaze, with all that is holy, with the joy and the strife, with the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life, with the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life. The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of life, are the rhythm and rhyme, the free verse of the poem of life. Poem of Your Life. And Stephanie Seafeld is with us again. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be back. Let me brag a little bit about Steph. Uh, whenever, I'm, whenever I'm at the Cove, I always ask that Stephanie be the worship leader. She is my all-time favorite uh, worship leader. And uh, so it's, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, that means more to me than, than I think you realize. And I uh, wish I could take that to the bank because that, that'd be something. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'll be ministering together soon uh, over the summertime. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the summertime and keeping our faith fresh during this season of life. And, you know, summertime can be a laid back time, but it can be a, a time of spiritual growth as well. So can we talk about that? Yeah, that's sure. that's a fun thing to talk about. Um I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this with our own family because we're in, I would think, I think it's fair to say that we're in a kind of a transition season. So I've been looking forward to summer for a chance to catch my breath. We've got um, my one daughter graduated high school on Saturday. I've got a son oh who just uh, did the eighth grade promotion and starting high school in the fall. Um, I've got a 20 year old son still living at home who just got a big promotion at work, which is great. So that kind of career path sort of stuff. And my oldest son mm-hmm. and his wife have just informed us that we are going to be grandparents. Wow. Oh, is this the first oh, grandchild? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and I, you know, we, we found out we still have an eighth grader and uh, going to be grandparents. So, you know, the 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 reach of the children <laughs> is wide. And so I've been thinking a lot about seasons and a lot about um, going into the summer, n- choosing not just to rely on all the spiritual work that we do, you know, with classes at church and all the Bible studies and stuff that go all year, um, those things fill your tank. And I want to do more than just soar on those this this summer. While I consider all these changes for our family, I want to make sure that those roots continue to grow deep so that I can be spiritually present and present for my my kids and my husband and my soon-to-come grandchild in the ways that the Lord would have me be. Does that, does that translate? I don't know. It's all kind of been running around in my head with all these all these changes happening. So what do you do you have a I mean I'm assuming you have a regular uh daily Bible reading program but then do you read devotional books or I mean what 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 is the shape of your devotional life? The shape of my devotional life um I came to faith through InterVarsity through the Ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as a college student so I learned how to have quiet times with a Bible in one hand and a hymnal in the other. And that was sort of mm-hmm. part of the DNA of of our particular chapter up at the University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Uh, so for me, devotion is, yes, it's the daily reading of the word and prayer. And in this season of my life, it's pretty anchored in the Book of Common Prayer, which is used regularly in our um, in my church tradition. So it's morning prayer. Um, and that's almost every day for me. I'm pretty good about it. So there's an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, a psalm, and a gospel every morning. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, wrapped together with some of the creeds and the, you know, some of the ancient ancient prayers, the collects that have been prayed, you know, for centuries around the world, a collect meaning collect, collecting people to gather them for prayer. And mm-hmm. so there's something I love about that because I know that other people around the world from different traditions than mine are praying the same thing and reading the same mm-hmm. readings. And I love that. I love being yeah. reminded in our walk with Jesus, that we are part of something so much bigger that we did not make up ourselves. And I need that reminder. Yeah. So that kind of devotional life, that helps me think outside myself. But you just told us about that family that you have. So how do you protect the time? Yeah, you know, well, how do you protect the time? 
the th- the thing is the only the only person who fights against me for the way I spend my time is myself. Yep. yep. And I you know, I had the excuse of mm. the little kids for all the years and then the excuse of the running the kids around but but that's the only the only one who gets in the way is me. And mm. and so I find that as I'm getting older, um thankfully I find that the Lord is deepening my longing to spend time with him and it's you know, I, I suppose it's probably to my shame that it's easier to fit it in when I feel that way. Except, I think that's part of how what the Lord does for us is he 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 makes he makes us want to know him more by the work of his Spirit in us. Mm-hmm. And and when I you know, there is nothing that floats my boat more than an excellent Bible study with a group of people. I'm I'm such a flaming extrovert that that just really that gets me going. Mm-hmm. And and I find that that then the after of that in my own personal devotional life of digging deeper on the things we discussed, reading some early church fathers on the topics that we dug out of the gospels, um, using my biblical imagination like that one, Mike, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to, to sort of fill in the gaps and, um, and to fuel the fire to keep learning more. I, the, the Lord has done that for me, and I'm really, really grateful. Mike, I'm sure you have a question, but I just have to say that I was going to ask you, Stephanie, what part other people play in keeping you fresh during this this summer season, too. You just answered the question already. Yeah, it, I'm grateful, too, that things slow down at church a little bit in the summer because we have a bit more time, even on in our Sunday structure, um, for just plain old fellowship, plain old relationship, which I love. Um. Yeah, I th- I think I was I was wanting to understand um I'm seasonal. I mean, how how does I I don't have a difference, you know, in in summer season or spring or fall or summer but my, my fragmented devotional life that I have to fight so hard to uh keep going. Uh it seems pretty consistent over the seasons. What's different about summer? Well, for me, there's a bit more, just a bit more margin in how I order my days. And that helps a ton. Without the early morning, you know, school run and, and all the things. Um, in the summer, I really can do a lengthy cup of coffee at, at the table in the sunshine with my Bible open and my journal nearby for as long as I want. You're not taking someone to school. And having to pick them up and taking them to the, all their after school stuff and doing the mom taxi thing. So it's really, yeah. it's fairly practical in the summer yeah. is I just have a little bit more margin. Um, and here at church, you know, like okay. I'm the choir director at our church and we, the choir is off in the summer. So between services, I've got an hour when I'm not rehearsing, but actually, you know, hanging out with people and building relationships. And we do have a couple of book groups mm-hmm. that we're they're doing over the summer that I'm really looking forward to. We're reading, um, there's a book called Poverty in America. I think it's Michael Desmond is the author's name. So we're going to wrestle together. Mm-hmm through some of those those ideas through a Christian lens. But that's what I mean. No one has time to sit and do that so much during the academic year around here. But in the summer, we take mm-hmm. time. Let's read some things together. Let's slow down a little bit and go a little bit deeper in some of those things. Yeah. Mike, you say that, but uh, as I look at you on Zoom right now, I can see all those flowers behind you. You and Susan grow all those wonderful flowers. I'm sure the summertime is a a real uh, time of outdoors uh, living for you guys, isn't it? Isn't that a distraction in itself? Well, the 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 flowers are the flower farm is. Um, there's always something, no matter what the season. Uh, only only in the absolute dead of winter, where when everything's frozen. But even then, we're starting seeds and doing things. So that's that's kind of like having a, a regular job. So that okay. that's not All a right. that's not a distraction. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about rest, Michael. Your thoughts on the need to have a, a time of rest, which you well, rarely get. I understand, but <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a it's a commandment in the first place, right up there with not killing people. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I think what, what what Stephanie is is describing, you know, this life that is centered on the Word that that keeps me. Uh, in an, in an unhurried sort of mode. I don't know about you, Stephanie, but um, I, staying in the Word sort of calms me down and, and gives me the, the sort of value system where I spend my day uh, in a little less hectic. Does that make sense? For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I like I feel like in the summer, too, I can follow rabbit trails a little bit more. Like, for example, um, we were reading in Matthew on Sunday morning the story of the hemorrhaging woman. Um, mm-hmm. the, and... I, I usually hang out with her in, in Mark 5. I just love the way it's laid out in Mark 5. But somebody, I don't remember who I was reading, but somebody uh, compared the idea of the woman longing to touch the hem of Jesus' robe 
with the way that the hem of the robe is explained in Isaiah 6, with the hem of the robe mm-hmm. filling the temple. So, mm-hmm. you know, all you Greek and Hebrew scholars would probably have 87 reasons why those things have nothing to do with each other. But the <laughs> yeah. imagery of it, for my imagination, just captured me. And so, mm-hmm. to be able to take the time in the summer, actually, we live on a little lake, so I took my books and took my coffee, and I, was, I spent some time thinking about the hem of the robe and and how the woman finally wow. had access to all that Jesus is and all that he is, is being worshiped, you know, and, and the, the holy, 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 that's the same robe. That's the same dude. And to to mm. be able to make those connections and to linger with that, you know, that was, that was a blessing for me. And then that day, mm. you know, to, again, self-discipline to my, my day was different for having spent that extended time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, whenever that doesn't happen, it's my own fault. And in the summer, the structure of life gives a little bit more space for that to have a bit higher likelihood of happening. Okay. Music is important to both of you. Uh, talk about music and, and the season that we're in right now. I can't stop listening to um, CC Wine and singing the goodness of God. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard, have heard her sing this song. I have not. Um, no. All my life. You have been faithful. All my life. You have been so good. Um, it's, it's sort of the same idea. Um, that we that in the poem of your of your life, which we just talked about, about the idea of how we're we're singing our songs through all of our days. It doesn't matter the season. There's a there's a faithfulness to all that God is, that different in different seasons, but unchanging still. And so when when I, you know, when I my problem with my obsessive compulsive self is I hear something. I mean, poema came out when I was in college, and I you would be you would think I was troubled if you knew how often I had that song on repeat, like the, the sense of um, the sense of the joy and the moments of light rhythm and the rhyme and the whole thing. It just, it gives a structure. And so when, when I latch onto music like that, it kind of becomes a soundtrack for a season. Wayne, mm-hmm. so your question is exactly right. Mm-hmm. I, the Lord gives me these little soundtrack moments. And so um, I commend to you that recording of the goodness of God. I think it was written by John Johnson. It's a fantastic, fantastic worship song. Um, but but somehow there's sustaining grace for me um, in the lyrics of the hymns from these generations gone by. It means mm. so much. And you said that when you have your devotional time, you have your Bible and a hymnal. Are you singing hymns to yourself or are you reading lyrics? Or I mean, how does the hymnal fit in? Well, it's a little bit of both. Here is an Oxford Press little tiny, um, little tiny hymnal book. Um, but it's it's a hymn book of just lyrics. There's no there's no actual notes. Oh yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, it's called Songs of Praise. And so, if as long as I have this, and there'll be hymns in here that I don't know. And so, Jill Briscoe used to say to me, "If you can't think of words to pray or songs to sing, borrow someone else's." Ah. I grab these books and borrow someone else's words. My my work bookshelf, which I'm very thankful you can't see on camera right now, um, <laughs> is all it's it's. Uh, the Canadian hymn book, the Episcopal hymn book, the hymnal for worship and celebration. I mean, it's a little ridiculous, the amount, the university hymnal, they're all just right here. Um, and that's just the ones that are within arm's reach. These, this, these texts made me, John Wesley and Charles Wesley mm-hmm. and Isaac Watts um, mm-hmm. gave me language for the thing that I was learning to believe as a college student. They put into words the ideas that were swimming around in my head. And so it's it's as important to me in many, many ways, um, as when I read my Bible. And and oftentimes for me, it's a journaling thing, reading the, reading the stanza of a hymn, committing it to memory, you know, and then kind of processing through it on paper, writing it myself in my own words. So sorry, I talk too much, but I get really excited about no. it. No, no. <laughs> and so I'm guessing that all comes out in the church services that you give leadership to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm thankful my, my yeah. pastor listens to me. He's my husband, so he kind of has to. <laughs> <laughs> I see how that works. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, and Mike, mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking as, as Stephanie was speaking that, you know, she can't give out without taking in. And obviously she's taking in a lot uh, from the Lord here. So, you know, um, we've, got a, we've got a couple of minutes left here. And before we begin the conversation, Stephanie, you led us in prayer for our session. And I love the way you pray. Uh, just hearing those few moments. And I wondered if you would just pray for our listeners right now. Here we are in the summertime. We've been talking about it. It doesn't have to be summertime. It can be any time of year. But can we pray for our listeners right now that uh, this would be something that would inspire them to to really keep this faith fresh in whatever season they find themselves in? 
Oh, I'd love to do that. What a kind thing to ask. Thanks for giving me that privilege. Let's pray. Lord, wherever we find ourselves as we're uh, listening to these words today, um, I pray, first of all, that we would have a deep sense of your presence with us and the the Emmanuel of all that you are, um, never, never leaving us, never forsaking us, never leaving us alone. No matter what season of life we're in, Lord, um, as we enter into these summer months, this next season, we pray that um, that your goodness would be on display in a way that we could see that would compel us to be drawn closer to you so that the world might see and know the goodness and glory of God in the face of Christ reflected in our lives, um, for not just for our good, but for your glory, for the sake of your name and for your renown. We pray that these um, these months of of beautiful weather, perhaps if we're, you know, in, in a place where we're lucky to have beautiful weather might point us towards the one who created it all and might uh, help us to be the sort of people who live in a way that gives glory to the one, to the one who has given us such good gifts. So Lord, would you meet us in a new way in these months, perhaps if they're set apart or if they're not, would you, by your sustaining grace, give us just enough courage and just enough grace to meet each day. Thank you, Lord, for this gathering, and thank you for the people who are listening, and thank you for your faithfulness to us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. I can Amen. see why the uh, the two of you are a great combination for ministry, Michael, and it's going to happen at the Cove this summer, <laughs> I understand, right? You're going to be together? That's right. Uh, we're, we're Every year, at least once a year, we, we end up there together, so I'm looking forward to seeing you. I can't wait to see you. It's going to be a total blast. Yeah. 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 Well, we uh, we began our segment with Poem of Your Life, and Mike, we're going to end this segment with another favorite, Come As You Are. Do you want to say a word about the song? or Maybe I should ask Stephanie to say a word about this song. Well, you know, I will take that opportunity. What I love about <laughs> this song in, is thinking about the same woman in Mark chapter 5 again. This could uh-huh. be her theme song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, leave, your, leave your wilderness, bring your emptiness. And here, finally, she found joy that she never had, at least not for the last dozen years that we know about, just mm-hmm. because she had the courage to break through the crowd as she was at that moment, unclean, sidelined, came anyway. Love that. Yeah. Bro- broke the rules and reached out and touched Jesus' garment. Love it. She's my hero. Mm. Come, come as you are, broken and scarred. Come leave your wilderness and come taste and see. Come and believe. And bring your emptiness Surrender your fear It is safe There is comfort here And peace from the storm If you're torn There is wholeness here For the Lord is good And His mercy never ends Oh, the Lord is good, and His love is everlasting. Won't you come? Come, come and see, come and be free, and let your heart proclaim in all He has done. He has shown mercy and kindness. Come and be glad, there is joy you have never had. And the love that will stay, that no one can ever take away. For the Lord is good, and His love is everlasting oh the lord is good and his mercy never ending oh the lord is good and his love is everlasting oh the lord is good and his mercy never ending won't you
beautiful. And thank you for the music and the teaching today, Michael. But we have a little extra time here and a little comment. Actually, it's a longer comment than normal, but I think it's very meaningful for you and our listeners to uh, receive this. So do you want to start reading Dave's note? Okay. Uh, It was the end of 1990. I had just finished up the fall semester at college, and uh, word was that my Marine Corps Reserve Unit would be called up for the impending war, later known as Desert Storm. I remember going home for the holidays, and at times the fear was overwhelming. For some reason, there were a couple of cassette tapes in my room, Scandalon and Known by the Scars. I wore those two tapes out during that December. On January 14, 1991, we were called up, and a week later, we were on the standby in Camp Pendleton. Fortunately, we didn't have to go over to Kuwait. During those few months, I learned what Psalm 91 and Psalm 23 really meant. Yeah, and Dave goes on to say, Michael, that your music was a major part of uh, his encouragement. He says, over the past 30-plus years of graduating, getting married, and having four kids, Michael's music was a part of all of that. And then a couple of months ago, my brother asked if I had heard of Michael Card. Of course I have, he says. Then he went on to recommend Michael's four gospel commentaries. Two days later, I was knee-deep into them. It caused me to revisit many of Michael's LPs and books. And then, of course, I learned of the podcast. And over the past month, the podcast has become my favorite. It blesses me, calms me, and gives me great joy and peace. I just wanted you guys to know. Wow. Well, we read every comment that comes in. We don't read them all on the, on the podcast, but we do read every one, Mike, and they're so encouraging. Dave, thank you for this. Uh, Michael, you have to be encouraged by this. Oh, yeah. And again, I just, I know I say this every time we read one of these comments, but it just, it is so encouraging that somebody would take the time to write uh, like that. And so, and you, you can see his heart, you know, what a, what a sweet brother. Thank you, Dave. If our time together has been used by the Lord to aid in your spiritual growth, Please take a moment and pass along your story, your questions, or comments. There are several ways to do this. Post a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or give your reaction on Spotify. Or email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. And stay current with Michael's ministry and interact with other listeners when you check out the Michael Card Music Facebook page. We're glad to point you to the wonderful resources from our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. We hope you'll explore the in-depth commentaries and topical editions and other study resources that can help enrich your understanding of God's Word. Take a moment and see what's waiting for you when you visit csbible.com. When you order, use the promotion code CARD40, typed with caps, no spaces, to receive your 40% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. Take the steps to learn and grow this summer at csbible.com. For Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We're all glad you spent this time together with us in the studio with Michael Card.